What's good? How's everybody doing? This is Real Talk. I am Ben Tompkins. We are presented by Nobody Currently, but one day, my friends, one day we'll get there. And if I continue to do the stuff that I'm doing now, that day is fast approaching, okay? This is Uber Stories Part 27. If you're brand new to the show, then welcome, my friends. It's good to have you with us. If you found us through social media, or if you have been somebody that's ridden with me and I've given you a card and now you're checking us out for the first time, was well, good, man. It's good to have you back, all right? Good to talk to you again. Um, I've been doing a lot of things recently in order to grow this show, and moving forward, there's a lot of things that I'm doing to aggressively try and build the following and the audience and continue to expand, and I'm really excited about that. So I'm going to be doing a lot of things um, in order to continue to do that, and one of those is going to be to continue to give my elevator pitch and reintroduce you every time I come on here. And for my day ones who have been riding with me since Allow Me to Reintroduce Myself, a really, really good episode. Um, it might seem a little bit repetitive, but again, I come back to this Drake quote where every picture that's taken is a fan that you can gain. And that's true. And for me, it's like every intro that I tape is a fan that I can gain. So I'll run through this really quickly. But before I do, I want to give you a little preview of each of the stories so you know what you're tuning into today and kind of give you a little teaser for what lies ahead here. First story that we got on the show is PP problems. And in a week that I have more stories to pull from, this one might not make the cut. But this guy was making me laugh so much, and I was laughing because he was laughing, and what he was telling me was very painful, and it's 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 kind of tough to, it was kind of tough to listen to for a second, you know, uh, and I'm sure it will be for you too, because it is it's painful what he's talking about, okay, but the fact that he was laughing about it and he thought it was funny and he was laughing like a straight savage, I I thought that was funny, and so then I was laughing and. It ended up making a, a pretty funny story, I think. So I kept it in here this week. So that's the first one that we got. The next one is Pilot's Dilemma. This is a story about man versus machine, a tale as old as time. In the latest saga, two pilots revive the debate and present their arguments in this true Pilot's Dilemma. Next on today's episode, we got Southside, Bonnie, and Clyde. A couple educates me on how to make money selling heroin and fentanyl and answers some of the questions that I have about that process. Propaganda Machine is next. This is a story about a soldier that tells me what it was really like being in Iraq and Afghanistan during the war, including what it was like being some of the very first soldiers. He said he was some of the very first boots on the ground making the first push into these countries. And I was like, well, what was it like when you would uh, go back later? You know, how was it different? And we just got to talking about uh, this old John Mayer quote, when you trust the television, what you get is what you got, because when they own the information, oh, they can bend it all they want. Okay, and then uh, Lost Luggage will wrap a bow on this episode. This is about a writer that was in town for an interview and he sidesteps a potential disaster after the airlines lost his luggage. But luckily, he was able to get a new suit 
and he got some real talk and some real positive encouragement from your boy. Also, really quickly, I'm doing a new segment. It's called The Doctor Is In. I don't have one this week, but if you want to go ahead and submit, it's basically life advice, okay? For a lot of people, I'm giving life advice, and there's a lot of people that listen to the show that might not live in Louisville or that I drive in another city and then I'm not going to be back for a while, and so they might not get to be in the car with me and actually ride with me, but for anybody that listens to the show that hasn't been in the car and and ridden with me, or for anybody that has ridden with me and wants to follow up on their story and uh, wants to let me know and give me a little update that I can share, of course, anonymously, just like all these other stories are, I'd be happy to do that. So I set up a separate email account for the show for these submissions and for anything else show-related, realtalkwbennyt at gmail.com. Again, that's realtalkwbennyt at gmail.com. Okay, and that's where you can send all of that stuff in. I've had some really good submissions the last couple weeks. Uh, One person was going through a breakup and I gave them some advice and then the person before that was about to move to a new place and was asking me about things that they should be doing and how to make it a little less stressful and anxiety, you know, and full of anxiety and I gave them some advice. So if you want to get in on that, please shoot me whatever you're dealing with and I would be happy to give you some real talk and you know it's going to be real. All right, I need to uh, introduce myself a little bit. My name's Ben Tompkins. Friends call me Benny T. I'm from Louisville, Kentucky. I studied school at the University of Kentucky. I got my journalism degree. And then after college, I went and traveled abroad, did some solo traveling over in Europe, came back to Kentucky, moved out to California, took a job in sales out there. I was selling wine and spirits. And I did that for about a year and a half in the Bay Area. I was one of the top reps in the area. And then I took another job, and I was selling theater and performing arts equipment. And I sold over a million dollars in my first year, so I was pretty good at that. And then at some point, I was like, you know, I'm really depressed, and I'm working from this home office, and I'm not doing anything that I really want to do. And this California move was fun, but if I don't get the fuck out of here, I'm going to literally jump off the Golden Gate Bridge. So I didn't do that, all right? I I stepped away from the ledge, like Third Eye Blind would be proud of me for doing, and I moved back home. And that was really tough. And... In just the last couple of years since I've been home, that was like mid-2018, and I got linked up with a local radio station. I was hosting sports radio because, again, I was a broadcast journalism major, always wanted to do something with that, but I just had a tough time carving out a role for me that, that I could be happy with and that I felt that I was actually good at and not kind of an imposter at, and um, because I'm a very unique individual and and my sense of individualism is so great that looking at all of the different sports packages that a lot of like local sports casters do and the way that they sound and they think that they got to sound a certain way and do this thing with their voice so that they'll get noticed by ESPN and it's like it just seems like a where's Waldo skit where I'm trying to find myself in the sea full of everybody else that looks alike and I'm like this isn't me this isn't my scene And I struggled and stumbled over myself for about a year. I was hosting my own show. I I had it sponsored by a pretty big sponsor, alcohol sponsor. I was um, doing everything by myself, and I sold a few other sponsorships, and that was great. But then COVID hit, and sports got canceled, and I was like, well, fuck, now what am I going to do? And everybody started doing their stuff from a home office, so I went ahead and built a studio in the basement of my condo, and now that's where I'm broadcasting to you from right now. And I started driving for Uber because I had been doing that part-time at nighttime. I'd get done with my radio show, 
and I would be close to downtown Louisville already, so I would just start driving, and I ended up, you know, I, I can't help it. I talk to everybody, and I love talking to people. I love meeting new people. I love making people feel good, and I just really fell in love with driving Uber and getting those stories, and every once in a while, I would get a story or a conversation that was so great or so outrageous or so funny or so savage that I would come on my radio show where I was talking about sports all day long and I'd be like, all right, guys, time for an Uber story. You guys got to hear this one. And the thing is, when I was on air and before COVID, people were calling and texting into the show asking for me to do more Uber stories. They'd be like, hey, you know what? We don't really care about your sports takes that much, but give us an Uber stories. And I realized that's because they can't get this anywhere else. Nobody else is doing this. And if you're brand new to the show, think about this show as basically Taxi Cab Confessions meets Dr. Phil and sometimes meets Tucker Max because sometimes I can be a little bit savage, okay? But like, honestly, most of the time, it is a bunch of life advice. It's a bunch of free therapy that I basically ride around and give my city and gas people up all day long. And I get people where where they need to go and do it safely. And it's like, not only am I doing that physically, I take people where they need to go, um, but also emotionally in speaking with them about anything and everything. And that's what we talk about here. It's just, it's got to be real. It's real talk, unfiltered, unflinching, it's real people, real stories, and that's who I am, and that's what I do. And over the last several months, it's been going really well. And um, I'm really glad that if you're just joining us for the first time, that you're getting in when you are. Because my day ones who have been riding with me for the last seven, eight months, you know, they've been down. But now I hope that if you found this podcast and that you're here, you'll stay here and you'll continue to ride with us because. It's going to be a great ride, my friends. It's going to be a great ride. So I'm saying all this stuff because I'm doing a lot of things in order to attract more people and get more people listening. So like I said, some of this might seem repetitive for you week after week if you've been listening to these episodes, but I got to do it. I got to do it, you know? So when I do one of these episodes, I don't use anybody's real names. I don't use where typically anybody works. If it's a small local business here in Louisville or your city that you live in, then I wouldn't say that, hey, they work at this mom and pop shop or they work at this small body shop where the chances of somebody being outed for something that they said are pretty great because you look at a workforce of maybe 10 employees and you're like, well, I wonder who could have said this. You know, it makes it pretty easy. But if it's something like Amazon or UPS or any of these major companies, then I feel pretty safe sharing that part of it and not any other identifying factors about the person. So I won't share anybody's real names. It's all anonymous, okay, but it's all real. And I'll take the five best stories from the previous week and I'll flip those and make an episode with those. And usually the last story that we'll do is a feel-good story. It's it's motivational in some way. It's encouraging. It's, it's about empowerment. It's a conversation or it's some real talk that I gave to somebody that was, you know, I, I literally get people who break down crying in my car. I get people just talking about shit that's really heavy emotionally. And I love that. And my whole thing is, I never want anybody to feel as shitty or alone or as abandoned as I have at different points in my life. And so I try to be for everybody else what I've always wished that I've had and build these people up and gas them up, man. That's what I do because that's that's how we win. We win together. We win together. And I think birds of a feather flock together. If you run around with losers, you will end up a loser, okay? But if you go around exuding confidence and positivity, 
you never know what you might say that makes somebody's day or maybe even keeps somebody from like that kind of third eye blind moment if you know what I'm talking about I'm getting emotional on this fucking microphone and that's it's real man it's real for me it's real for me because it it, it was real for me that third eye blind moment was real for me okay looking down over the bridge and spitting into the bay counting how many seconds my spit would take to hit the water imagining that being my body I mean that was real for me but you know what I stepped off and I, I stepped away and I moved back and it sucked a little bit but here I am and this is what I'm doing now and it's a lot better than anything that I could have ever imagined and I'm really happy about it and it just <laughs> I am not uh, you know uh, I, I am not one to shy away from getting a little bit emotional sometimes and especially when I speak to people in the car man it's like it's like I didn't cry for like 12 years of my life and then all of a sudden I got a girlfriend and somebody that made me feel loved again and and uh, the first time that I ever cried, I was like, is that what I sound like when I cry? And like, that, that's, that's ugly and I was ugly crying that time and it was just like, a, I felt like the wind got knocked out of me and I was just like crying like I've never heard myself cry before but now I, now I get emotional all the time. It doesn't make sense, I guess. I just, I don't know. I've kind of gotten back into touch with that but... Um, that's the reason that I do what I do, and that's the reason that I think that this show can absolutely become one of these things that, uh, you know, I can become the next guy. I, I can become the next guy that has this show that ends up becoming something that takes off, either with the podcast or eventually I, I could totally see somebody... Um, like I, I would have to kind of jump around a couple of hurdles with NDAs or not even NDAs, but um, waivers basically about people's faces. You know, if I wanted to stick a camera up in the dashboard and make a YouTube of it and stream it on Twitch and like I, I absolutely think it can become that. But for right now, you know, I got to grow where I'm planted and I got to work with what I've got. So I'm, I'm doing the podcast and over the next several months during the spring and summer, I'm going to be doing a lot of stuff to continue to try and build this thing out and build this thing out. And brick by brick, I swear to God, man, it's going to happen. And one day I'm going to sit there and laugh at all the motherfuckers that told me he's crazy. He'll never do anything. He'll never be shit. Watch. Thanks for giving me that gas and that motivation because I cannot fucking wait till the day I prove you wrong. And I hope it stings, baby. I hope it does. Nice for what, okay? But during the spring and summer, I've been lining up different uh, trips that I'm going to be taking. So in April, I'm going to be going down to Atlanta. And in May, I'm going to be in Nashville. And I'm still trying to figure out where I'm going to be in June and July. It's either going to be Charlotte first and then Chicago or Chicago first and then Charlotte. But basically the reason that I'm doing that is because I'm trying to continue proving a concept that I have for the show, which is different seasons in different cities. Um, because I can drive anywhere. And as long as you got me, I make this thing go. So I, I, I do it all, man. I, I tape it all. I record it all. I drive it all. You know, I, I do all of this shit. The social media stuff, my own taxes I've been working on really feverishly the last couple of weeks. And like, it sucks. Okay. It's a lot of fucking work, but it's worth it. And I just formed an LLC, Godfather Media. Hey, how do you like that one? Godfather Media. That sounds fucking sick, doesn't it? 
I got an LLC and I formed this LLC. So now we're getting a little bit more official here. And um, that's really for tax purposes and also to demand a little respect a little bit, you know? And it's not just like, hey, here's this guy with this podcast talking about some grandiose thing. It's like, no, I've actually put a lot of thought into this and this is what I'm doing. And I, I went through the and, and took the time to set up an LLC and get this stuff set up. So when tax time rolls around and when I continue making money through sponsorships, they've got somewhere to send that kind of stuff. And it's just, I don't know, but I'm, I'm just, any small business owner or entrepreneur remembers the very first LLC that they set up. And I did that this week and I feel really good about that. And that's, that's a fucking flex. Like that's a sick thing, dude. So I'm, I'm excited about it and I, I think it's really cool. And that's just like, you know, I, I had to get to this point. I had to get to this point. I had to work to get to this point to even be setting up an LLC and to be setting up these different months that I'm going to be in these different cities where I'm going to be taking a basically drive in on a Wednesday night and crash on a buddy's couch and I'm going to drive all day, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, get as many stories as I can from that city, and then make that into an episode. And I'm going to do one of those a month, have one of those kind of weekends a month. And I'm really excited about that because I can only imagine how fun it's going to be, A, um, making that and going on that adventure. And I love to travel. Travel is like one of my favorite things in the world. I've been to so many different places and I've really been lucky and privileged in that I've I've got to travel and that's awesome. Um, so shout out to my parents. But uh, I, this is like something that I can do where it's like incorporating the things that I love, meeting new people, talking to new people, encouraging people, and also getting to travel and see these different cities. You know, I've only been to Atlanta once. I've never been to Charlotte. Um, I've been to Chicago a handful of times. Um, Nashville, to be honest, I've only been to Nashville like a couple times as an adult. And I have friends in all these different cities. And it's always one of those things where you're like, okay, I'll come and visit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got to find a weekend. But then like that time never comes. And I'm like, you know, look, I'm going to be there for business. But if I start driving at 10 a.m. in the morning and I drive eight hours, you know, my night will be free and I can kind of kick back and visit with some of these friends. And um, I like to do daytime rides as well as nighttime rides. So I'll, I, it's, I'm not going to take every night off. Like I'm going to drive most of the night because that's sometimes where these stories come to life, man. You get some people that are a little toasty. They're a little bit more willing to divulge some information. Like everybody always thinks that when I tell them, I, I, oh, what's your podcast about? And I'm like, it's about all the people that I meet driving for Uber. They're like, oh man, I bet you get a, a ton of crazy stories. And everybody just assumes that it's just drunk people. It's like, no, dude, go and drive around at 1 p.m. in the afternoon. You're going to meet some pretty interesting people. Uh, that are into some pretty interesting stuff, that have some pretty interesting stories, all right? You'd be amazed. If you listen to some of these episodes, you're like, yeah, yep, shaking your head like, yeah, these motherfuckers are crazy sometimes. I'm like, yeah, but it's all, it's real. It's real shit. And I'm just, I'm excited about that, you know, looking ahead and, and, and just, I don't know, imagining like, you know, you watch these documentaries on people like Steve Jobs or whoever, you know, whatever entrepreneur, you see these pictures of like old Silicon Valley people and they're sleeping on couches and they look like nerds dressed up in like 90s gear and early 2000s gear and stuff. They got pleated fucking khakis on, but they're sleeping on the couch because they're building this business and then look what it's become, you know? And that's kind of how I feel when I'm starting to 
get into this part of it where it's like I'm going to be crashing with friends and working like a maniac, but I'm going to come back and I'm going to have this awesome episode. And I'm also going to be handing out the business cards when people ask because I don't tell everybody that uh, that I do this when they get in the car because I don't want to just completely be a self-promoting douchebag and be like, hey, listen to my pod. But like when people ask, so is this all you do? Or like if it comes up, then I'll hand them one of the business cards that I've got made and I tell them what I do and I'm like, check it out. So I'm only going to continue to expand in these other cities when I'm handing out these business cards and when it's like, hey, I, I just you know handed out 50 business cards in a weekend in this city and now I'm going to a new city next month. And like, I'm just, I don't know, man. I'm really excited about that. So um, if you want to help me grow the show and you want to help me expand, you can leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. That is a huge way to help me out. And I seriously cannot thank the people who have done that already. I cannot thank you from the bottom of my heart enough. Like seriously, thank you. Please do the same thing on Facebook. We are on Facebook at Real Talk W Benny T. Um, we're on TikTok and Twitter and Instagram at BennyTomp18. I just acquired a brand new, well, it's not brand new. Let me be honest about it. Um, I, I I bought an Instagram account, okay? I'm just going to fucking be honest about it. Yeah, I bought an Instagram account. What up, okay? But it's not because I'm vain and I want people to like my shit. It's because if I'm going to spend money on social media advertising and I'm going to bid my money on clicks, right, and compete against other potential advertisers that are, you know, basically bidding for that 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 space on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or wherever it is, you know, I can do that or I could also buy some followers. And I did. And I acquired an Instagram account with 17,000 people, 17.6 thousand people. And I kind of got to figure out how I'm going to set it up because you see those accounts that when you look at them, it's like they they post stuff in threes so that the page looks really cool. I'm I I got to figure it out because I'm not the greatest at social media. But um you know, that's that's also where a lot of a lot of you might be coming from as well. So it's just like between that and the advertising and being in these new cities, like I'm just doing a lot of things to try and grow this show. And uh, if if you're here now, then I hope you'll stick with us and I hope that you'll find these stories funny and empowering. And I hope that you think you'll think twice about some of the stuff that we talk about here because it's it's real shit and it's real people and it's real stories and it's real talk. And uh, that's who I am and that's what I do. So it's good to have you with us, guys. Um, there's also a second part of the show too where... It, um, not like a second part of the show, but it kind of goes hand in hand, is the music that I play when I'm in the car doing rides uh, is all available on Apple Music and Spotify. If you type in at BennyTomp18, just like I am across all the other social media platforms, you'll find these different playlists that I reference a lot of times when I'm talking to people or when I'm telling these stories, and you can download those too, and you should immediately because they're fucking fire. All right. Uh, also, I it just if foul language offends you, then this is not going to be the podcast for you. I'm just going to go ahead and get that out of the way as well. Sorry for letting you know 20 minutes in, but you know I'm sure that you probably picked up on that by now. Unless you, you know you're not the sharpest tool in the shed. And in that case, I don't know what to tell you. I don't got anything for you. If you're offended by foul language, then just find another show. No love lost. It's okay. I'm not for everybody. Okay, but the people who I am for, you better believe they're for me. You better believe it. So the people who are listening that that really vibe with me, then I fucking love you guys, all right? And girls. This is an all-inclusive podcast, all right? 
and um, it it's just it's all love, man. It's all love and it's all real. So that's kind of my whole spiel. Okay, I've been working really hard on taxes lately, so it's kind of limited my time that I've spent driving. So I've got five stories today, and they're pretty quick. And usually if I do, you know, 40 to 60 rides in a week, that means like the more that I drive, the more stories that I get, it's just a volume game. Um, the, the content's going to be better. I've, I've spent a few days off of the road getting my taxes done. Um, so the stories on this week's episode are pretty quick and they're pretty good. I, I think they're pretty good, but um, go back and listen to some of the other episodes if you're just now joining us for the first time. I put together a best of. There's like five of the best stories up to that point that's floating around out there. I think that was like maybe Uber Stories part 15 or 20. Um, the way to go about that is go back and listen like to last week's. Don't start at Uber Stories part one. Go back and listen to last week's and then the week before that and the week before that and uh, I think that's the way to do it. There's also some episodes that are uh, not just Uber stuff related. It's, uh, you know, I don't, uh, certain things happen, and I'm very real and open about the things that go on in my life, and every once in a while, I'll have specials that I'll release. So, like, I did a New Year's special, I did a Christmas special, I've got a couple of other specials out there that are just titled differently than Uber stories and the interviews that I do where it'll be, allow me to reintroduce myself. If you want to get a good feel for the show, go back and listen to that one. Go back and listen to the New Year's special. That one, I go deep, and you'll get to really know a lot about me by listening to that one. For the love of the game, is a little bit emotional. I'm a, I'm a little bit emotional coming back from a, a Survivor Jeff Probst-style hosting with my friends where I was like... Uh, uh, you know, emceeing this kind of big drinking game that we were playing. I came back off the sour beers and was just like, I, I got something in my soul that I want to fucking get on these tapes, man. I just came in and ripped it. And it's it's some of my rawest content that I've ever taped. And and I, I'm glad that I did that. But like these, you know, are are episodes that you'll see in the feed that aren't Uber stories and you'll be like, what is that? That's what it is. It's 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 a special. It's a special that I'm doing. And then the interviews that I do um will be a lot of different people and on a lot of different topics just like I am I kind of bounce around okay I have ADHD and uh, I, I can kind of get off topic from time to time it's why taping an intro takes me 25 minutes sometimes but you know if that's me for better or worse the interviews that I do they are not always every week I actually haven't done one in a while I've been so busy trying to fucking do all this other stuff you know but um on weeks that I do do interviews, I'll drop those on a Friday, and it's like a bonus, okay? It's like a bonus episode at the end of the week. If you get an interview episode, then it's like a little bonus. So uh, eventually, again, brick by brick, baby, I'll get somebody that exclusively books all my guests and reaches out to people and schedules and like, but right now, I'm you know, I'm juggling a million different balls in the air and trying to get this business off the ground and... Uh, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. Much how people feel after they listen to me just go on and on and on. They, 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 they call me the kid with the motor mouth. So you know what? But I, I have the energy to do it, and I'm like the fucking Energizer Bunny, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it all. So thank you for joining us and getting in at this time. Um, one more thing that I forgot to mention at the top of this. I'm bipolar. I know a lot of people don't typically talk about that a lot, but I am bipolar. I'm bipolar too. I go up, I go down, I have bouts of mania, I have severe bouts of depression, 
And I talk about that. I talk about what it's been like starting on some medication and how that's helped. And I talk about that with my writers. And um, it's something that I will not be afraid to talk about or not be ashamed to talk about either is my struggles with bipolar and going up and down and my struggles with impulsivity, my struggles with being a binge drinker, a casual binge drinker from time to time or dabbling with drugs from time to time as I have and, uh, you know, kind of struggling with some of this stuff. So I'll I'll talk about it and I'll be honest about it because that's the only way that we can really own our own shit and move past some of this shit is just by being honest about it. And a lot of people probably wouldn't start a podcast with it and a lot of people probably wouldn't start their intro with that part of it. That's why I left it in here at the end of this because I almost forgot to mention it, but because you just don't lead with that, you know, it's just like people, because people equate bipolar with being crazy, and that's just a a really unfair and ugly misperception about it, but, you know, look, um, it's me for better or worse, and if I'm the person that has to say, look, not all bipolar people are crazy. I might go Kanye every once in a while, all right? I might spaz, okay? That happens. That certainly does happen. But it's like, look, having this disease doesn't mean that I'm crazy. It doesn't mean that I can't be a high-functioning adult. It doesn't mean that I can't absolutely achieve everything that I set out to. I'm I'm determined to achieve everything that I aim for in spite of this and despite this, right, is like, it's almost like I take one step forward and three steps back sometimes with um, these, like, uh, just periods of mania, is just this elevated mood where you just, I'm just, like, going a million miles a second, and I'm getting so much stuff done, and I feel like a lot of that time is spent at some of my creative peak. I come up with some of my best stuff, and I, and I, I feel at my sharpest, but also some of that is like some some feelings of, you know, grandiose behavior. And it is kind of like a blinder that you have. And it's like, was that really the funniest thing that I've ever said? Or am I just like kind of a little bit manic today? You know, it's like you, you, that happens. That happens. And um, I, I it's almost like the depression thing will come and it can completely wipe out all of the progress that you've worked so hard to make and it's so fucking frustrating sometimes but like I literally all my life have succeeded in spite of myself and in spite of being bipolar and not knowing that I was bipolar or being diagnosed as bipolar until I moved back to Kentucky and until I sat down and was honest about it and was like I think I need to go through this testing because I think it might save my life and up until that point It was just riding the rails, trying to hang on for your dear life and not knowing what was going on, not knowing why I would go through these these periods where my energy was gone and I didn't want to do anything and I wanted to just overeat and overeat all my feelings, like just, you know, stuff it all down and, and like, or, you know, use alcohol to cope with it and just like, it just sucked. It just really sucked. And finally, I was like strong enough and in a strong enough place to be like, i going to take back control of my fucking life and if talking about that helps somebody else get to that point then I'm gonna do it and I'm not ever going to shy away from that so that's me for better or worse baby what's good Benny Tomp 18 on social media catch me if you can baby I <laughs> real quick before I got into the stories uh, I got my COVID vaccination and as if driving for Uber 
and giving me the endless amounts of content that it does isn't great enough, it also got me to be able to get my COVID vaccination. And so I got it. This was like two Fridays ago. I forgot to mention this on last week's podcast, but I did get it, okay? And I had spoken with a lot of people in the car who had gotten it. And um, I'll tell you this, when I got it, um, it was really quick. I'm not scared of needles or scared of shots or whatever. My arm was so sore the next day and, and later that night and the next day and for four or five days after that, it felt like someone took a baseball bat and swung it at my arm as hard as they fucking could. It was bruised. It hurt. I couldn't lift. I had to skip my, my workouts. And I didn't get sick, okay? I had no negative side effects from it. So all you anti-vaxxers, chill the fuck out, sit the fuck down. I didn't feel different at all. The only thing that I experienced was an incredible pain in my arm. And I'm, I got muscle, I'm a big guy, like, it hurt me. And I was bruised, and it seriously felt like somebody had taken like a two-by-four or like a club and absolutely clubbed the shit out of my arm. It went away. And I'm fine. But I will say this. Most of the people who I've talked to who have said that they have felt sick after taking the COVID vaccination, most of those people said that they started feeling those effects after they took the second shot. So this was only my first. So I don't I, I don't know. I'll get to that point and I'll let you guys know when I get to that point. But I, I actually have. And, you know, like, you know, what's great about this is that I am, you know, believe it or not, I am actually doing journalism and I'm interviewing people all day long. And I have a really close pulse um, and, and like feel for the city and the people and different events and society and like different things that are going on. And I talk to people who have gotten both of the COVID vaccinations and I have legitimately spoken to at least a dozen people who have said, I felt sick as shit after taking the second COVID vaccination. First one, felt fine. After the second one, got sick as a dog. Lasted three days. Lasted 24 hours. I was sick a week. I mean, I've spoken to multiple people who have varied somewhere on that scale. But it's not just, I'm not just sitting here telling you, you know, like your uncle on Facebook, yeah, I heard some people got sick off the COVID vaccination. Uh-uh, not for me. I'm, I'm telling you on some real shit, I have spoken to at least a dozen people who have said, independent of each other, they felt sick after taking the COVID vaccination, but they said that they felt that way after taking the second shot. So this was my first, and I'll let you guys know after I get my second shot. And here's a little tip for you. Here's a little trick, okay? I uh, I was eligible, so you have to be eligible, but honestly, I think there's a way around that too, and I'll get to that here in a second, but I called a Walgreens next to my house and I had had a writer who told me there are so many places like CVS and Walgreens and anywhere that administers these COVID shots, there are so many of them that end up throwing those shots away at the end of the day because once you open them, you have six hours to, to, to give it all away and for it to be used or else it gets thrown away. It's crazy to think about. But a lot of it ends up getting wasted. And so if you do what I did and what this person told me to do, you can probably get your COVID vaccination. Call a CVS or a Walgreens or somewhere towards the end of the day and say, hey, just call in to check in. Has anybody called in or has anybody not shown up for their vaccination? And do you have any left over? And 
these places, they have no incentive to tell you no. Their incentive is, hey, we got it. We're going to throw it away. So at this point, what's the difference if you come and take it or if we throw it away? It, like it, it's, We would rather have one more person get vaccinated, right? And so I just called the Walgreens by my house. They said, we stopped um, administering the shots at 3 p.m. So if you call back towards 3 p.m., um, you can see if anybody has uh, not shown up for their appointment. If we have any extras, we'll give it to you. I was like, bet. Well, I called in around 3 p.m., and they said, you know what? We had one person that did not show up today, so come on in. We'll give it to you. And I was like, oh, my God, this is sick. So that's like a big flex. You know, I, I feel good. I got the Fauci ouchie. It hurt me. It hurt my arm, all right, but I didn't get sick. We'll see how the second one goes. And what I was saying a second ago about the, uh, you know, proving that you're eligible. Look, I'm eligible because I'm an Uber driver, but I I brought like my thing that says why I'm eligible. They didn't even look at that. I literally I checked this box that said I am eligible because whatever. I checked the box for the reason that wasn't that didn't. It's not like it specifically said Uber driver. It just said like frontline worker, which is what like Uber drivers or. Um, door dashers or a lot of people are considered frontline workers if you have like exposure to the public in your job and so I just checked that box they asked no questions I honestly think I could have walked in off the street done the same thing called and been like do you guys have any extras and if I go in and check any box I want they probably would have given it to me because again they don't want to waste it and it's going to get wasted if you know if no one's there to take it so uh, and I did that because I couldn't get a fucking appointment. I'm looking at all of the different Walgreens in, in Kentucky and it only lets you schedule like three days out. And on the website, not a single one of them said, we have an appointment available for people that you can come and get this. So I'm like, well, what am I supposed to fucking do, man? And that's what you're supposed to do. So if you're sitting there asking yourself, what can I do? Just call and if the first one says no, then just, I mean, just literally just go off of Google results and go down the line and keep on dialing until you get one that's like, yeah, we have a couple extras you can come on in and maybe they'll ask more questions than, than the Walgreens by my house did. But I don't know, chances are they probably won't because they just want to get rid of it. So that's how you can get your COVID shot, okay, and not have to wait any longer and you'll be good. So I'm literally going to do the same thing for the second one. You have to wait a month in between the first and the second shot. So I'm eligible for the second one after, uh, I think, like April, I want to say like 22nd or 23rd or something like that. And when that date rolls around, I'm literally going to do the same thing. I'm just going to call Walgreens until I get one that's like, yeah, we got a couple extra. Some people didn't show up today or whatever, and uh, I'm going to go and get it. So there you go. I, I just, listen, I toss touchdown passes all day long just hoping that somebody will catch them. So if you're sitting there trying to figure out how you're going to get your COVID shot, there you go. Just just take my advice and just call up these places. So, okay, I am, uh, I'm ready after, uh, you know, 30 minutes of kind of getting into this thing. I'm ready to get into the stories. So, I hope you'll enjoy these. Uh, we got five stories today. PP Problems, Pilot's Dilemma, Southside Bonnie and Clyde, Propaganda Machine, Lost Luggage. Those are the stories, and thank you guys for being here. I hope you enjoy these. PP Problems. 
Now, in a week with more stories to choose from, this one might not make the cut, but this one made the cut this week because it really made me laugh and because I was running a little bit short on stories this week, but we'll call this guy Peter, all right? Why not? I picked him up from a healthcare facility downtown, and the first thing that I said when he got in was, hey, they get you right in there? Yeah, man, I was in a whole lot of pain before I came in here. They gave me a shot, now I'm doing a whole lot better now. A cortisone shot? I guess so, probably from my back, you know? I said, did you get in a car accident or something? He said, nah, I had back surgery back in 04, and I'm thinking it's the same pain that keeps popping back up every so often. Plus, I had surgery on my prostate, too, so I said, damn. And he started laughing like, <laughs> and when he did that i started laughing because i couldn't help it he was he was almost like laughing like uh yeah you know that shit hurt like so i started laughing and i said did you tell him to add a couple inches <laughs> and he said i wish they could would have did that <laughs> I was just laughing so hard, man. <laughs> and so I, I was like, well, what was going on where they had to operate on you like that? And he said, he got real serious now, and then he said, I had an infection of the prostate. I said, oh, man. He said, they had to cut away part of my prostate. How painful was that? Oh, man. You don't even want to know. I shh, had a catheter for almost a week. Shoo. And then I had complications from that. Maybe a couple weeks later, I tried to use the restroom and little squirts of blood came out. I couldn't urinate. And they found out I had big blood clots in my bladder. So then they had to get an extra large catheter to stick up in me and get the blood clots out. <laughs> I was like, dude, why are you laughing? You know what I mean? Like... Why is he laughing? That's why I was laughing in the moment. I'm like, why? This is this like happened to you, dude? Like, I said, oh man, I, I swear to God, my shit tingles just thinking about that. God damn, man. <laughs> Fuck. And he just kept on going. <laughs> And he was just, he was just sitting in the back seat, like reclined, slumped back there, just like hands crossed on his stomach type shit, just enjoying it, man. He's just like, <laughs> oh God. <laughs> he said, oh man, that was, uh, oh man, you should have heard when I was in the ER, man, I was screaming like a woman getting ready to have her first child, man. I said, well, is everything healed up now? You feel better? He said, oh, yeah, that was maybe eight years ago when I had that. I said, oh, okay, good, good. Woo. <laughs> he said, yeah, that's something I'll never forget, though. I, I tell you, man. How could you, I said. He said, not being able to urinate and your bladder's full, too. And earlier that day, I had drank maybe three or four beers. <laughs> I said, how do you relieve yourself when you have to go and that's happening? He said, I couldn't. You just held it? I couldn't urinate. It wouldn't come out because of the blood clots. I couldn't urinate at all. <laughs> the doctors, they was telling me, they said if this would have happened to me maybe 30 years ago or something like that, I probably would have died because they didn't know how to do it back then. They didn't know nothing about no catheters and all that kind of stuff. Isn't that crazy, I said.
And it is, you know what? It is crazy to think how far we've come with medicine. Stuff like the common cold could have wiped you out, you know, like measles and smallpox and all the stuff that we hear about going on cholera, the cholera outbreak. Like, you just think all of these different pandemics and things that went around the world that killed people, you know, it was like, what's, oh, there's a movie, there's a movie where it's, it's, it's like kind of poking fun at colonial times. I'm drawing a blank on it, but basically, um, you know, one person gets sick and they're like, well, they're dead. And then another person's like dealing with something that, uh, God, what is that movie? Maybe it's like, a. I want to say it's almost heroes with Matthew. Uh, oh God, the dude from friends. What's his freaking name? It's Chris Farley and uh, Matthew Perry. Matthew Perry. Matthew Perry and Chris Farley. And I'm pretty sure they're like, one guy's like shitting his brains out. Another guy's getting attacked by a bear. And it's chronicling life as they move. And they're like the other guys following uh, Lewis and Clark. It's really funny. Um, it's an underrated Chris Farley movie. He didn't make many, but it's an underrated Chris Farley movie. But basically, that's like that would happen. You know, you'd be in the woods with like a raccoon skin on your head uh, trying to catch dinner, and then you could get a common cold and die because there wasn't like Theraflu. You know, it's, it's just it's weird. But like, I, and I don't know if he's right and accurate in saying 30 years ago catheters didn't exist. I mean, kind of find that hard to believe but like I get what he's saying you know I think catheters have been around for a while but uh I I'm not a doctor so I just play one on the podcast from time to time I don't know I'm I'm not actually a doctor you should call a doctor if somebody goes down so um yeah I I just but like I just thought you know I I kept that story in because I just the looking at him in the back seat, dude, and he's just you know sitting back there. He's reclined a little bit. He's got his arms, they're crossed, you know. His hands are crossed, and they're sitting up on his stomach, and he's just kind of laughing like, like a savage. Like he's just laughing like a savage the whole time, and he was funny, man. So, fellas, listen. If you hear the story and your shit starts to tingle a little bit as well, don't wait. Okay, go get a prostate exam and when's the last time you got your prostate checked i mean seriously maybe it's time to go do that so you don't end up on a podcast talking about extra large catheters good god pilot's dilemma so two guys get in the car and they're both very sharply dressed one of them uh is wearing you know his suit and the other one's also wearing a suit but then they're like uniforms right they're not just like a regular suit and tie thing it's it's a uniform and i picked these guys up at jeff ruby's and we we're talking for maybe six or seven minutes and then one of them says okay so can we end the hand flying discussion and the other guy says oh yeah uh, hey listen to this one so we had this debate I said oh please well we respectfully and then he just paused and neither one of them were going in on it and it was almost like one of them started to go, but then he pulled back because he was like, do you want to take it? And the other guy was looking at him like, do you want to take it? And I said, no one had said anything at this point. And I said, well, all right, well, let's hear it. Oh, man, you'd be bored, he says. Well, I don't say anything. And I'm not going to say anything because I want my silence to speak for me and say, guys, I'm waiting. So I'm not going to speak first. You know, whoever speaks first in this situation loses, right? So I don't say shit. So one of them after, you know, like 10, 15 seconds says, okay, so we're both pilots and he thinks that you should fly the plane with your hands to a certain extent, which I agree with, but I say me personally, 
the juice isn't worth the squeeze when your job's on the line. And I a thousand percent thought that these guys were fucking with me. Like, I thought these guys were a couple of hotshot pilots, and this is a little practical joke they play on regular people where they're like, so, yeah, we're pilots, and we always joke like, so should I drive the plane with my eyes closed, or do you think people would get mad if they knew that? Just to fuck with people, just to get people's reaction. Because I guarantee, uh, if I were a pilot, you know, I would probably say some shit like that. You know, it's like an ambulance driver. So... Do you think that people in the back would care if uh, we were up here texting and driving? Or it's like, yeah, but the, but that's like the funny part of it. It's like, obviously, but these guys were totally serious, okay? And so when I break this down, you'll, it'll, it'll make sense. So he's like, yeah, I, I think um, that you should kind of not have to fly the plane with your hands. And this guy thinks that you should fly the plane with your hands. So I'm like, okay, all right, go on. You know, what's happening up there, all right? He said, well, everything's tracked and there's data. So every time you move the wheel, they know it's being monitored, okay? But if the autopilot is on, you don't have to worry about it. So as long as you're managing the system correctly, you're protecting yourself. But as soon as you click off that insurance, you're not screwing up, but you're, you're opening yourself up to screw up. And then the other guy says, so what I'm saying is, I agree with this guy. You are increasing your risk. However, you're decreasing your risk for the real-world risks of an aviation problem. And my view is, if you have a defensive personality, that is, all those seeking the path of least resistance in the short term, but in the long term, as a wise old man like myself, you're actually decreasing your risk because the benefits of being proficient and in tune with what's going on. I said, (laughs) well, that's... That's a good debate, though, because I can see it from both sides. If you're an old-school guy, then you're going to trust yourself and your experience over technology or the machine, right? But if you've been taught to rely more heavily on that stuff and you're younger, then I'm sure there's a really big weight that's lifted off of you where if something goes wrong, you say, I can step in and fix it. But this is what I've been taught to do, and I don't want to be held liable because look what happened to that dude, Sully Sullenberger. I mean, they were coming for him, and he saved the fucking day. And they investigated him like he had done something wrong. One of them goes, yeah, he landed there right into Hudson like a fucking champ. (laughs) I said, and there's no automation that would have done that, you know? There's no monitor that's going to tell you, hey, do this, um, and it's certainly not going to do it for you. Like, that's where that real-world skills and aviation, I guess, awareness comes into it, right? And they were like, yeah, yeah, I guess, I guess, I mean, that's a, that's a good point. And I, listen, I got to say, for not knowing anything about aviation, I mean, barely anything at all. I had a friend one time in high school who has since passed away, rest in peace, Brandon Hurley. This 18-year-old kid had his pilot's license. His dad was a pilot for UPS. And he, we went out to uh, Bowman Airfield, and he brought me up in a little prop plane, and it was just a little two-seater. And we were up there as seniors in high school. And I've, I just, I don't know, I've, I've always had a fascination with planes. I love jumping out of planes. But I, so I know a little bit about planes, um, but, but really the technical shit, like the shit that they're talking about automation and shit, I don't know shit about that stuff, right? <laughs> I don't know. So, I mean, I watched catch me if you can 55,000 times, but that doesn't really make me a pilot, right? I mean, and, um, I just, but for, for me not to know anything about aviation and just to pull that one off the rip and be like, oh yeah, but like Sully and I felt pretty good about that. Right. 
And I'm sure there's like a million other jobs or industries that that principle behind that debate could apply to, like boat captains or fork-like drifters. Or hell, think about if I were driving a totally self-automated car for Uber. If I knew that the car could drive itself without me, would there ever really be a need to turn it off and drive it myself? If that's how I was taught, then probably not, right? But if I started driving when that kind of technology wasn't around and I didn't grow up with that and I had become a good driver all on my own through time and experience and multiple trips, I probably would just whip it myself because I trust myself. But like that guy's saying, now if you do that, you've just assumed this great amount of risk. So what do you do? So that's a really good one. And it's also pretty crazy to think if the way that these guys are talking applies to all pilots and airplanes, is anybody flying these planes? Or is it all just monitoring the automation? Like the next time I hop on a Southwest or a Delta flight and the captain's standing in the doorway, did that guy just get us here or did the technology, right? Because they come out and, you know, they they greet you as you get off the plane. And, and I'm somebody, I literally always, th- I always say, thank you, boys. Or thank you, guys. And I, I thank them, you know, just like I thank the crew and everybody. But I'm like, thank you for getting us here safe. You know, it's a big fucking deal, right? I'm glad I didn't die. And... I'm just wondering now if I'll look at these people differently when they exit the cockpit and they're standing there looking all prestigious and they've got their very nice suit on. And I'm like, did you really do anything just now or was that all the computer? Be honest, be honest. Like, because now I know how this stuff works, right? Now I know how this stuff works. So uh, I'm, I'm going to think about that the next time I see a captain. Like, do, did I just find out that the emperor has no clothes, right? Now, I'm kidding a little bit, of course, because even if they aren't physically flying the plane themselves, they are sitting there making sure that everything is going to plan and they it takes a skill to master the automation and make sure, you know what I mean? But like, it is funny to think about a plane full of people and there's like this little kid that looks up at the cockpit and wonders, what's it like to be a pilot? And then you enter into the cockpit and you see a shot of the pilots and they're playing poker and one of them has their feet up on the control thing. (laughs) Oh, man. Either way, either way, this pilot's dilemma makes for a good debate. Southside, Bonnie and Clyde. It's not every day that you get the chance to pick the brain of a heroin dealer. It's a pretty bold statement, right? I mean, how many of you really would want to? But I'm just saying it's not every day that you get the opportunity to do this. And I've spoken with plenty of people who have used heroin. I've talked to many heroin addicts and people struggling with addiction and not to make light of that at all. That's not what I'm doing. But I'm just saying I've spoken to enough people about heroin to understand a lot of the ins and outs about heroin and addiction, specifically addiction to heroin was what I'm saying. But I've never actually spoken to anybody that sells heroin until this ride. I'll call this pair the Southside Bonnie and Clyde. So they get in the car, and we were downtown, and it was pretty late, and we were stopped at a red light, and we had been chit-chatting a little bit up to that point. You guys having a good night? How you doing? All that kind of good stuff. Well, we get to this red light, and we're waiting on the light, and we're still talking, and then it turned green, and I had been driving for so long that day I was like three or four rides away from being done at this point. I mean, it's it's close to two in the morning. I had been going since 10 a.m. that day. And it was the longest day that I've ever driven. I'm just like, at this point, dude, I hit a wall where I was like, please just finish these rides and go home. 
please just get home. Well, we're sitting at this light, and I'm just kind of so mentally exhausted, it didn't even register to me that this light had turned green. And we sat there for a minute before my brain was like, hey, you dumbass, that's a green light. And because no one else was around us, I didn't have the cue to go, right? If I had seen somebody else's car moving, but because we were just at an intersection downtown at a light, there was nobody else out at that point. Um, I, I saw no motion, so you know the only cue that I had would have been the red light turning to green, in which I missed that one altogether. So when I finally realized it, I said, fuck me. And I start driving. I said, it's been a long night, guys. Well, the girl laughs and said, I have days like that. I usually have been detoxing though on days like that. And she laughs and the dude bursts out laughing. He's like, damn, you are stupid, bro. Oh, I said the come down. <laughs> he starts busting out laughing again. She said, you already know. I said, are you good now? Detoxed? And then this is really the first time that he speaks. He says, yeah, she's straight. And then she says, about 5% right now. And then they both start bursting out laughing. And I'm, I'm low-key laughing like, <laughs> like, I'm like, oh, man. You know, and uh, she said, I was so high, I probably couldn't fucking find anything if I wanted to. <laughs> the dude bursts out laughing again and he's like oh man <laughs> so there's like a silence for like 30 seconds as I'm trying to decide where I want to take this one right because sometimes when somebody says something I, I'm in my mind I usually react and I'm pretty quick on my feet but you know when someone says something like that I'm like okay where do I want to take this do I want to take this into a place of like hey are you getting help or like can I talk to you about the risks of addiction and or hey can I uh, get a good story from you like what's the most fucked up thing you've ever did when you're high you know it, it, it can go a million different ways but I didn't even have to think about it that long because out of nowhere what the dude said next pretty much decided it for me so he said I mean I just got out of jail too so you feel me I said, well, welcome back. What were you in for? A uh, couple. <laughs> he starts laughing again. She goes, he likes to steal cars from people, drive them around like he's styling and then move on. He said, I, 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 I was in possession of a stolen car. I didn't steal it. I, I was in possession of a stolen car. She said, but you did steal it. He said, I didn't. No, girl, she stole it. She stole it. I was just driving it. I said, you stole it, Bonnie? She said, I didn't steal it. He said, no, no, not her. I said, another girl? Yeah. She said, I would do all them other things. <laughs> She's stupid. And she says, like, ounces and pounds. <laughs> hey, don't listen to her, bruh. I said, I see nothing, I hear nothing. <laughs> well, how long did you stay in? Just 14 days on this one, but I've only been out like nine months on a six-year sentence for trafficking heroin. 267 grams. Yup. I said, damn. He said, <laughs> he burst out laughing again. She said, that's fucking dumb as hell. Oh. I said, how much money can you flip with just one gram? And I don't know. You know, I've never... I've never purchased heroin, I've never done heroin, so I don't know what, what it gets sold in or what kind of money you can make from it, but obviously there's like a lot of money to be made for it, so I'm like, I'm curious, right? So I'm like, how much money can you make with just one gram, you know? He was like, 
Ah, uh, well, it just depends on what you got, but one gram ain't nothing for real. If I buy a gram, I'm going to bang it. What do you sell it in? Tens? Like where I was before I came up here, it was $25 a 10 off $60, so you could get 250 off of 60 That was a lot, and that part confused the fuck out of me too. I think he was saying you can buy a gram for $60 here, and a gram is like 10.1 hits. And then flip that from wherever he's from and sell it for $250. I think what he's saying is in a gram, you get 10.1 hits, but really it's it's sold and purchased in bundles, which, which might be 10 to like 12 to 13 grams, I think. I was trying to do internet research on this because, I've, you know, like I said, I've, I have no personal experience to pull from here with uh, banging heroin or buying and, and selling heroin. So I'm like, I'm trying to make sense of this. And maybe, you know, you're, I don't know, you might be a little bit familiar with that. No judgment whatsoever coming from this end. But if if you know or you've watched a documentary or listened to a podcast recently, you know how it's sold. I, I don't know. Maybe you can make sense out of that sentence. But what it, what it sounds like is if he buys something for 60 bucks, basically he can flip it and make 250 off of it. Well, then he continues and says, a ball of ice is going for 380. Why you think uh, uh, I came down here in a stolen car for? You think I was coming up here for my health? I was like, where are you guys from? He said, I'm from Lexington. She's from Greenup County. But I grew up in Chicago, though, till I was like 13. And I said, so are you saying it's cheaper here or more expensive? Way cheaper. It's cheap as fuck. The girl says, in Greenup, I can take a gram back home and sell it for 100 and I tear off like 50 And he goes, you a lie. I was selling them 20 a 10 for that shit, so $200 a gram. And I was like, well, what would 10 grams of fentanyl sell for? Because I'm curious about, like, you know, they say that fentanyl is like 100 times stronger than heroin, so obviously it's going to cost more on the street. And if heroin goes for what he's saying, then I'm like, well... Okay, fentanyl stronger than heroin. This is what heroin goes for. So what does fentanyl go for? I'm just, I don't know. I'm just genuinely curious about that, you know? And he was like, 10 grams of fentanyl? I'm going to take that 10 grams of fentanyl and turn it into about 25 and sell that shit for 200 a gram. Listen, don't get your calculator out, okay? I already did the math on that. That's $5,000. Damn. And I was like, and it's $10 a gram for heroin? He said, nah, it's about 60 yeah, give or take. Yeah, I give it to you for about sixty. Damn. So sixty from two hundred from heroin to fentanyl. Yeah, and I'ma double it up too. You feel me? So I'm taking six grand and turning it into like twenty bands. What do you cut it with? Usually I cut mine with baby laxative, but it just depends though. Some people are allergic to stuff, you know. Or you can go to these gas stations and they got something called dormant, which is a sleep aid, and that's the A one thing to cut it with. Does it put people to sleep too? He said, hell yeah. Puts motherfuckers down. I said, how do you verify how pure it is or, or what it actually is? I try everything before I buy it. You do? I, yeah, I try everything before I buy it. God, that's fucking risky, isn't it? I mean, I got to though. Like I told her, I ain't going to sell it unless it's A1 because they can jam you up with murder, right? Exactly. And that's why I do it first, because I know what I'm giving. Because some people respect it, and some people don't. So you got to know who to cut it for, and who not to cut it for. You got to wean out the morons, because you can always do more. You can never do less, bro. Never forget that shit. I said, how long y'all been in it? 
he was like, what, into this shit? Yeah. I, I've been in this shit since I was motherfucking eight years old, dog. I was running crack in Chicago from eight to 12, bro. And then when I turned 12, I kind of jumped into it myself, started selling crack. But I've been selling heroin, though, since I was 18. How old are you now? 29? Do you have an exit plan? Hell yeah. If I get about 20 bands, I'm gone. And the chick says, it's called an orange jumpsuit. <laughs> and I started laughing. I said, 20 bands or 20 years. And he was like, <laughs> and he started laughing again. He was like, but, you know, you got motherfuckers like, like me. And if I ever do go back to prison, you know, I'm straight, though. You feel me? You're covered? Yeah, I'm covered. Who are you with? Simon City Royals. What is it? It's like a GD click. You feel me? I've been down with that. And then she said, it's all a bunch of gay slurs sitting around drinking. He said, nah, don't listen to that. She's just running her mouth. And I said, it's protection, right? He said, man, it ain't even protection. I tell motherfuckers what to do on that. She said, nah. He said, most definitely. She said, you don't down here? He said, I can't do it out here. Ain't many of us. But, but we go over into Indiana, I guarantee I be calling shots. See, some people join shit just because it's in Kentucky. Nope. My shit's nationwide, dog. Google it. You can Google my shit. Been a gang since 1956. <laughs> I was like, is this your guy's hotel right here? And we're pulling up. And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was just like, oh, man, what am I going to say? Okay. All right. Again, make them feel comfortable like I'm not a fucking rat. I said, hey, y'all ain't got to worry about me, man. And he goes, oh, yeah, we can tell. We can tell you straight, dog. And I said, I live my life by the old Italian code, Omerta. You know that one? He said, most definitely. See no evil, speak no evil. I was like, all right, guys. Well, be safe, all right? He said, you too, bro. Hey, hey, what's your phone number? We might just call you for a ride and shit. I was like, <laughs> just get me on the app, man. He was like, all right, all right, yep, all right, bet. <laughs> I was like, you know, one time is probably enough for me. I don't, I don't, you know, I, I, I don't really want to do this one again. You know, there's some things that you have so much fun with it and, and enough fun is enough fun and you never want to do it again, right? Some people are like that for things like skydiving. I'm not, I love skydiving, but it's like, you know what? I, I, I've, I, I had way too much fun with this and I'm over with it. And that's kind of how this ride went was it was fun listening to what these people were saying and. Uh, just kind of, just, I don't know, man, just, just I, I, learning about, you know, the trade and, and the business and, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, look, I, I, uh, I try never to judge. I try really never to judge anybody that gets in the car and it's tough not to want to judge on this one because I, I, you know, a part of me is like, hey, it's none of my business. Who am I to judge to each their own? Uh, but in this case, you know, cutting heroin and selling heroin, that's one of those things that uh, does affect other people. And it's not just to each their own, live and let live kind of a thing. It's like, hey, this person is out there potentially putting out some harmful substances. Now, he says he tries every batch that he makes, you know, so <laughs> take that for what it's worth, you know? <laughs> 
but I don't know. I, I you know, I, I uh, the other part of me is like, this guy is a piece of shit. Like this guy is a fucking piece of shit that is uh, really risking it with people's lives. I mean, this isn't just something that people can recover from. If you overdose, maybe that Naxalone shot's going to save your life. Maybe you're too far gone, and that's that's what's scary. So I. Listen, I, I really don't have a lot of respect for somebody that's living that life. I'm just going to be honest about it, okay? I, I don't. I think that's a pretty low-life kind of a fucking move, okay? And this is the entire reason that I think that drugs should be 100% legal and regulated by the FDA so that people, because people are going to do what they're going to do. That's just a fact of life. People are going to do whatever the fuck that they're going to do, whether it's legal or illegal, whether they're told not to, whether they're given the green light. People are going to do whatever they're going to do. And that sucks for a lot of the rest of society, right? Especially if that bullshit is interfering with our right to live, you know, un- unencumbered by that kind of a shit, right? But my point is, if you tell a drug user don't use drugs it's illegal they they don't care they're going to get high and that's what they're going to do okay and because of that i wish we would just accept it as this is going to happen so we can either make it safe or we can continue to just roll the dice every single time somebody wants to go and do what they're going to do it's like sex it's like the old catholic schools would preach abstinence and they wouldn't give out condoms or birth control and said that it was against god's will but then all these people started having teen pregnancies and it's like well well how can we stop stds and teen pregnancies because people are going to have sex regardless so why don't you just go ahead and make it safe? And it's like, no, 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 we can't do that. We can't do that. I've never understood a lot of the Catholic positions on a bunch of shit. It's a lot of fucked up shit. <sighs> what I'm trying to say is, imagine a world that we lived in where if somebody was who was addicted to drugs that was going to get high that day went out and could go and buy it from a pharmacy rather than have to get it from a character like this guy, Okay talking about cutting it with a baby laxative and shit and putting it out and, and it's just like you eliminate that part of it you eliminate the cartels you eliminate a lot of where people get in trouble with it and um i don't know in in my opinion i guess the reason that they don't do that it's got to be a money thing. It's got to be they look at the system the way that it's set up and they look at the way that the prisons are filled with drug users and and they say, well, there's more money to be made in arresting and citing and seizing this stuff and then, you know, maybe putting it back onto the street in some backdoor shady shit. Okay, that happens. Um, and then, you know, you, you get all this money that's coming in off of all of the court fees and the lawyer fees that are associated with all of these different charges um, prisons that are for profit fill up with these people, and um, I think the system runs better making more money off of all of the drug users and arrests and all kinds of stuff that's related to that, rather than making money off of selling it themselves and taxing it or regulating it. Now, I don't know. Maybe that's just a ridiculous take, uh, because you can make so much fucking money selling drugs the way that these cartels do. But I, I just, I don't know. Maybe there's just more money. I mean, I know that, that that that's a lot of money, okay? 
But if you totaled up all of the money that's made from arresting people and being reactive instead of proactive with the drug thing, then it's it's got to be more money. It's it's just got to be more money. And and I think that's their position is well, it doesn't suit us at all because yeah, it might be safer for these people, but it's natural selection. It's going to weed out the morons, and it's also going to put a lot of them behind bars, and we're going to make a lot of money off of that. So let's just keep doing that. That's a really dim way to view it, the natural selection thing, but it's, it's I mean, it's true. It's true. It's true. So, yeah, that was uh, that was a wild, you know, not as wild as the, the other tweaker story that I had where uh, the two people who were high on meth were sitting in the backseat of the car telling me about what they were planning on doing, no no actual knowledge of if they followed through with the plans that they were talking about doing, or if they were just fucking high, which they I, I do know that they were for a fact, but if they were just like high talking about, oh yeah, we're going to do all this shit, and then, you know, it's just high talk, or like like drunk talk, you know what I mean? But um, a few episodes ago, that was on an episode, so my new listeners, that was called Tweakers, and uh, it was a pretty wild story as well. And they, they uh, yeah, that was that was crazy. So go listen to that one. But um, again, I, I'm not judging these people at all, whether in terms of if they're a good person or a bad person. Um, most of the time, you know, most of the time. I Because I don't think that it's my place to judge. But these are the type of people that I wish that uh, didn't have... I guess a viable way to get by in life because they do this and they they just you know you hope they get caught right and you you hope that they're at least smart about what they're cooking I guess and I, I but it's it's yeah that's a, that's look I'm sure if you had had somebody in your family that's passed away and overdosed um, I've had many friends who have overdosed uh, one recently my friend Tanner and it's just like. The piece of shit that sold that to him probably didn't even know what he was selling, you know. And that's that's the thing is like, I'm gonna trust the chemistry skills of this guy, you know, or somebody that looks like him or talks like him or is associated in the same kind of things that he does. That lifestyle, I'm gonna trust that person to, uh, you know, know the right formulas and stuff. That's 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 a lot. That's a lot. And it devastates families and it devastates lives. And I've talked to many people who have suffered from addiction from the pain pills and then it goes to heroin and and it's just, it's an ugly life. So normally I'm not judging anybody that gets in the car, but in in this case, kind of a low life, kind of a low life piece of shit. And no, dude, you can't have my phone number. If we're destined to cross paths again, then you'll get me through the app, but I'm definitely not going to be seeking out and giving my number out to somebody that's uh, involved in the shit that you're doing. I think respectfully, one time is enough for me, my friend. Propaganda machine. Whenever we talk about the media, no matter what channel you watch, I think most of us will agree that, that most of the time, the media shows us what they want to see. Or at least, they show stuff that fits into the overall system of beliefs. Or they're quote-unquote narrative, right? And I'm talking about the national media. I'm not talking about local affiliates. That's the thing is like, lately, (laughs) in the last couple years, these Trumpers would watch the shit that they spew on Fox News that is a thousand percent that kind of a narrative, let's just cherry pick the facts and, and, uh, you know, reinforce our system of beliefs and what our base beliefs like 
That happens, and it happens with MSNBC, and CNN's supposed to be the one that's a little bit more committed to journalism, and they're more in the middle, but a lot of people say that they're like a lib fest too, and I like CNN personally. That's where I get my news from if I watch the news, but I think it's really funny how in the last several years, a lot of Trumpers and Fox News people would go, oh, you're just the media, local media, we can't trust you. And they're talking to like 27-year-olds who are in some of them their first or second job trying to do local journalism community stories and tell the stories of the community. And like they're just trying to do good journalism. And these people are like, oh, you're the media, you're liberal media, you're lying to us, like we can't trust you. And it's just like, dude, you guys are just, wow, just brain dead. I mean, honestly. But the national media sometimes... Not sometimes. They they do. I mean, come on. Let's just be honest, okay? It's not... I don't think that all medias have a narrative and everything like that, but, like, a lot of times when you watch a Fox News or you watch a CNN or an MSNBC, um, sometimes they're going to show us what they want us to see, and they might omit the stuff that they don't want us to see, right? And this gets back to this conversation that I was having with a former soldier who was telling me about what it was really like serving multiple tours in Afghanistan and Iraq. And he was some of the very first boots on the ground as they made the first push. And I was reminded of this John Mayer lyric where he's singing and he says, When you trust the television, what you get is what you got. Because when they own the information, oh, they can bend it all they want. So I'm going to wait it, you know? And I remember hearing that, and I was like, damn. Like, my, that blew my mind. That, that song came out 07, 08, somewhere in there, maybe probably even earlier, uh, Continuum, one of the greatest albums of all time, I got to say. And I just remember sitting there in my mom's Ford Explorer hearing that, and I was just like, damn, that is some deep shit, that's real talk right there. John Mayer just slapping us in the face with some real talk. But it gets back to this conversation that I was having. Let me get back to that. So I'm talking to this former soldier and uh, we're like 10 minutes into the ride and we're talking about his job and what he does now. And then somehow we wouldn't even like start with the military stuff. We were talking about credit and how to build credit and how credit gets fucked and He said, it's funny, man. When I was in the military, nobody ever asked me about my credit. Nobody. They saw I was military and they didn't ask questions. As soon as I got out and started living the civilian life, it was a whole different story. And honest to God, I don't feel that I am better than anybody else because I served. But I think that that should earn me some privileges in this fucking country, man. Shit. I said, where were you at? He said, I was stationed at Fort Stewart, Georgia. Did you serve any tours? Oh, yeah. I did three in Iraq. I did the first push into Iraq. I did a return trip, 05, 06, and I went back 07, 08, and then I changed my MOS. So for the first time, even though I'm from Kentucky, I actually got to go to Fort Knox. So I was ecstatic about that because I had my wife, you know, she lived like 30 minutes away. And um, yeah, being from Kentucky, I I had never been stationed at Fort Knox. So I was just happy about that. An MOS, let me break from the story here, an MOS is what the Army calls their enlisted jobs. It stands for Military Occupation Specialties. And a COP, which is what he's about to reference right here, is a combat outpost. Okay, so he continues. So he did three tours, and then he's like, in 2010, I ended up in Afghanistan in the world's hottest fucking COP known to man, other than COP Keating, because we got into some shit, and it was all night long and for days it was ridiculous. 
And a lot of times it was just blind fire shit from them because they was just doing it to harass us. But whenever they would bring more than a couple, then their intent was to try and overrun the cop. They filmed that shit. That shit was all on film. But I survived all that. I also looked this up and researched it. Cop Keating, because I had to research what a cop was, a combat outpost. Cop Keating was um, a small base that was uh, set up outside of kind of some strategic places that these other, like the Taliban and Al-Qaeda had set up and it got overrun, I think. Um, so, yeah. but So, I don't know where he was, what, what cop he's referring to, um, but Cop Keating is like a historically, it, it got hit pretty hard. So, he's saying he was at the other hottest fucking cop known to man. So, I, I, I can imagine that those were some, Marines call it the suck. They're like, another day in the suck. You know, that's that's the suck right there. That That would suck. That would suck a lot. Thank you for your service, okay? Um, but he survived that, and I said, "So you were part of the, so you were part of the first push." He said, "Oh yeah." I said, "How different was it being a part of that versus when you would go back later?" Oh man, it's night and day, and I'm gonna tell you why. I don't give a shit about what you read or what they tell you on TV. The truth of the matter is, you go over there, and nobody really knows what's gonna happen. It's just gonna jump off, okay? Because I was in Kuwait in December, and I remember on Christmas night, I had to do a kitchen detail, like wash dishes and shit. And they were already in there talking about, man, they're talking about pushing into Iraq, and we're just sitting here in Kuwait, like maybe 50 miles from the border. And I'm just like, fuck, dude, what am I going to do if this army from the north just comes down and starts fucking us up? I didn't realize, though, at 21 years old, without me doing any proper research, I didn't have a clue that Iraq had the fifth largest army in the world, yet they had the oldest fucking equipment in the world too. And a lot of them quit, dude. Like, I don't know how much you followed the war, but we didn't fight like a Vietnam or World War II or Korea. They fought back, but at the same time, they gave little resistance. There was even a day that our brigade had reported like 20,000 POWs, which means that many dudes just said fuck it and got up and quit. And I see why, because when we got up and went past their foxholes, all they had was a skimpy fucking gas mask and like a bag of rice and an AK-47 and a couple magazines. They had some shit grenades, dude. Like some of them were crowd suppressant grenades. And then they might have had like one or two frag grenades. And they're going up against an army that trains for this shit. Like our infantry dudes was carrying like four or five real grenades. We got rifles. We got fucking machine guns, grenade launchers, air support. I mean, we carry a lot of shit into combat. The tanks that we use, like, if you aren't ready to put up a fight, you're not going to last long. And I think they got a taste of that. But if you ask me, because I got to skip forward to that Battle of Fallujah shit, those were like some hard-charging dudes that were going to fight and put up a fight. But like most other pockets of Iraq that were hit, there wasn't a whole lot to be dealt with. Because these are like farmers and their sons and shit that would just pick up guns when they're not tending to their goats and stuff, right? Now, that's kind of stereotypical a little bit, and I blame that on some of the media that I've watched, Lone Survivor, and some of the way that they make these militias look. And I know that they're all not goat farmers, so I, I don't, I'm not trying to be offensive. But I'm just like, but like a lot of people were, that's, they, they were farmers. Like, they're essentially farmers that would join these militias, like fathers and sons, right? And he was like, well, I mean, yeah. But no, I mean, some of them, but like, honestly, there, there were a lot of trained soldiers, right? And then Saddam was even so nice that he let his prisoners out 
to fight us. These people were criminals within the country of Iraq, and they were serving time in prison somewhere, and he emptied that bitch. So that's why whatever battalion that was, and they're not the only ones to have ever commanded it, but that Abu Ghraib shit, that prison, they didn't have to just go in and kick any guards or inmates out to take control of it. They just took it because it was fucking vacant, dog. And that's something I try to explain to people, and I don't know how to put it in words, but like, imagine, you're driving around, you just took over this country, Two days ago, you tore down Saddam's statue, so you are who's in charge. And we go to these places, dude, and they just be vacant, like fucking ghost towns. I said, did you ever sustain any injuries? Nah, dude, I didn't. Thank God I didn't. I've had some near misses, but no, nah, I don't have no great stories to tell you, like some lone survivor shit. I've been in firefights, but honestly, I couldn't even tell you who killed the guy because by the time we did BDA, they were already in pieces. What's BDA? Battle damage assessment. Basically, you kill somebody, you got to go over their corpse and try to figure out every possible detail you can about them. Like, you'll probably never read this, but I'm going to tell you this right now. As a veteran, a lot of people I fought were from Uzbekistan. They weren't even Afghani or from Pakistan, bro. They were fucking hired mercs from a whole other country. Um, my buddy swears up and down that people that he shot at looked like they were Asian, like Chinese or some shit. He said they didn't even look Afghani, like Taliban motherfuckers, you know what I mean? So just know that our world wars have been a lot more than what they've ever said that they've been. Boom, okay? That's the takeaway. That's the takeaway right there. It's always more than what they said that they've been. And I don't know about you, maybe if you're like me, you... you enjoy listening to this because you're like me and you get to learn a little bit about a lot and this is like the stuff that I love because this is like some real behind the scenes shit right what this guy's telling me is um you know I feel like he's peeling back the curtain and he's giving me a look at something that not a lot of other people see or know about right again it's like uh the wizard of oz right I'm getting to look behind that curtain and see what's really back there um, civilians, anyways, other people in the military, they they know all this shit, right? Um, but civilians, you know, it's like uh, I don't know. He was kind of letting me in on 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 this kind of stuff, and I'd be very curious. I am very curious if there's any vets who find this podcast and you've served tours in the Middle East, in either Iraq or Afghanistan, or have been stationed anywhere over there. Email the show, realtalkwbennyt at gmail.com, and I would love to hear you weigh in on this stuff, because that's that's pretty nuts. If, uh, you know, what this guy's saying is, we were over there to fight this war, and we weren't even fighting the people that were, like, from this country, dude. We were fighting other people that had been hired in. And now maybe that's because their armies were insufficient, and they needed the numbers, maybe in Afghanistan. But if what he's also saying is true, and I didn't look this part up and fact check this, but he's saying that Iraq at the time had the fifth largest army in the world. Is that true? Can we get research on that? Oh yeah, it's just me sitting in the studio, so I can't really type and read and talk at the same time. I can, but it's I'd get distracted. So I'm just like I gotta roll with what he's saying at face value, but like that's that seems like I mean, I guess I could believe it. But just just imagine you're uh I don't know, imagine you're in the desert expecting to see people that look like uh, they're in the Taliban and you see somebody that looks like they're Asian. I mean, you'd probably be pretty confused, right? But I think isn't, I, now this is where I really can trip myself up talking about geography because 
Whenever I played um, Trivia Crack, geography was absolutely my worst category. I suck at geography. It's why I literally use maps everywhere that I go still to this day. Like, I suck at geography. But I'm pretty sure Uzbekistan is close to China. Like, it might even... Does it border China? I might be, I might be wrong on that. And you know what? I am going to go ahead and get research on that because all I have to do is pull up my phone, pull up maps, and type in China. And... Uzbekistan, eh, it's close. It's it's It doesn't border it, but it is close. I mean, honestly, all of these countries are close to China. I, I um, A lot of them I can't pronounce, and I don't want to just absolutely butcher it, but, like, there's a couple of stands that are bordering Uzbekistan that are really, really close to China. So it's 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 like not out of the realm of possibility that, um, you know, you have a lot of Chinese people living in some of those countries or uh, to the same token, some of these people who are from those countries living in China. I mean, I, I, I don't know how it works, okay? I don't know. I, I can only go off of what this guy's telling me, but like that would just be wild. You'd be fighting this war and you're like, oh, man, what? Where are all these Chinese guys coming from? Where are all these Asian guys coming from? That just, I don't know. That uh, That's wild. But um, I just, look, I the reason, I'm getting so far off topic here. The reason to kind of like wrap a ribbon on all this stuff is uh, getting back to that John Mayer quote. That's that's true, you know. When, when, they, when you trust the television, what you get is what you got because they show us what they want us to see. Um, if you want... Now again, it, it could be a little bit biased, and it's got a little bit of Hollywood media bias. And but I really, really fuck with Adam McKay. And if you want a good movie that watches like a documentary and is based in fact in a lot of this stuff, and tells the story about Dick Cheney and how he basically strong armed this you know Iraq War to happen and justified it with a lot of shoddy evidence piecing together you want to talk about cherry picking facts and at that time you know fox news had just started in 1996 so by the time 2003 opens and is around fox news is really really uh, um you know a propaganda machine for the right and dick cheney used that and he used all of those people to get people fired up and sway public opinion about the war and at some point you would ask people off the street. I mean, there's like polls and you would ask people off the street, you know, what is the connection with Saddam Hussein and Osama bin Laden and Afghanistan and Iraq? And people would just be like, oh, it's all the same thing, you know, because we were basically taught that those lines should be blurred so that when America goes in for the oil in Iraq, it is so people are like, well, yeah, go get them, you know, and it, it, I felt, I feel misled. I feel misled, you know, we were lied to. Honestly, we were lied to, okay? We were lied to. I'm not anti-war, but let's just be honest about what we're going for. It was all for oil. It was all for money. It was all to continue to prop America up as the global superpower and further push us away from Russia and keep Russia down. You know, we're, we're really not far removed from the space race and Russia looked like it was going to emerge as America's equal. It was the only country that was really on a level playing field or at least inching closer to the closest um, uh, level playing field that had ever been established since any of the world wars. And then America pulls away. Well, um, 
this was a big way that America maintained its its dominance was the oil thing. And we went to Iraq for that. Like, let's be honest about it. Um, because honestly, like, you know, Saddam was toppled like pretty quickly. And Osama bin Laden was on the run for a long time. But we basically were done really quickly. And then that's where the confusion came in was like, OK, well, what are we still doing here? And then it was like a decade later. And it's like, what are we still doing here? And it's like. Hey, gas prices, yeah. But go watch Vice. Go watch Vice. It's got a Christian Bale as Dick Cheney. It's a it's a great great movie. I love it. I love Adam McKay. But basically, it it touches on all of that stuff. Um, and like Abu Ghraib, I've spoken about Abu Ghraib before. Um, you know, basically that's that's what he was saying is like that that place was vacant. And that's why we were able to just take it and then it ends up becoming like the 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 poster child for torture and prisoner abuse because no one was around and, you know, it's like a domino effect. One little thing, butterfly effect. One little, you know, you you push a push an inmate one day, well, the next day you punch him. And if you punch one, the next time you punch him in the face. And if you punch him in the face, the next... And it just like... You get desensitized to what's going on there. And um, that was just the culture that ran rampant at Abu Ghraib was just really fucked up CIA tactics um, to extract information. And none of the information that they ever got from any of that stuff was legitimate, credible information. What would you do if somebody was literally taking car jumper cables and applying them to your testicles? You're going to say anything that you want them to hear. And then they were so like coached to to just get any information at all and bring it back and be like okay good 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 we got it we got it okay okay take them down take them down you know and then it's like this this information is what is it you can't use it right and that's what the war was was run on and justified with thank dick cheney thank dick cheney thank roger rails and fox news and the 24-hour media cycle like all of that stuff was starting to pick up at that time and Fox News was like almost one of the biggest reasons that we went to war in Iraq in the first place. It was like, it was a propaganda machine. It was absolutely a propaganda machine. And when you trust the television, what you get is what you got. And when they own the information, oh, they can bend it all they want. Propaganda machine. Lost luggage. So I scooped this guy up from a department store, all right, and uh, we're rolling along, talking for a minute or two, and then I said, so were you shopping, or did you just get off work, or he said, okay, so I guess we have time for the story. Well, I just got here, and I lost my bag at the airport. I had a suit bag, right? And I like to do carry-ons, and with COVID and limited capacities, they said, just leave it by the door, by the gate. Okay, well then, they said, check downstairs if it's with baggage it's not going to be up here so I'm running back and forth up and down up and down man I got this interview tomorrow and I got a meeting and I'm like you know what fuck it I'm just going to hit this Burlington and be ready for this meeting at 8 a.m. and being able to get a suit coat some pants you know everything's mismatched but we tried to make it look as good as possible I got some good opinions from the employees in there a tie I'm keeping my shoes so I should be good to go Damn, man. 
I wish I would have got you on your way here because then I could have been like, wait, dude, I got shit at home. You can just borrow for the night so you don't have to buy it, man. He said, man, I appreciate that. I, I really appreciate that. What's the meeting? An interview to be staff at UofL. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, I hope it goes well. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. You know what? It will go well. I had something extremely similar happen. Get out of here. Dude, it was like a fucking nightmare, man. And I told him the story. That's a true story. When uh, I went out and interviewed up in Minnesota for a position, it was a sales position. It was the job that I had the second year and a half time frame that I lived out in Santa Clara and in the Bay Area. And I was selling musical education and performing arts equipment. And the company that manufactured it was based in Owatonna, Minnesota. And I didn't know shit about any of this stuff. You know, my previous sales job, I was selling wine and liquor. I know about that kind of stuff. I know the brands. I know what proof is. I know how to talk about it. I learned the wine stuff being in California and going on vineyard tours. But talk to me about musical education and stuff. I know now because I had to teach myself and I, I and I did. I, I took it seriously and I learned and I sold over a million dollars in product my first year, bitch, so hop off, right? But flying in to interview for the position, I had no idea. And I created the most extensive and exhaustive list. I mean, I was so fucking prepared for this interview, man. I flew in and I had my laptop and it had every single type of question that I thought that they would ask. I had written out little, like, sh- almost like short-term essay prompt answers why I thought that I was a good fit for this role, why I thought I could succeed with this company, um, you know, stuff that I thought they might ask me. Like, I, I was just, I was ready to go. I had done my research on the company, and I had created this really great Word document. Well... I get off the plane in Minnesota and I left the fucking laptop in the back seat pocket of the seat in front of me. I left it on the plane and I didn't realize it until we had gotten in from like Minneapolis St. Paul Airport to Owatonna was like I think around an hour, maybe a little bit over an hour. I get in, I get to my hotel room. It's like after midnight, so it's already late. I got the interview in the morning. I go to look over my notes one more time before I go to sleep and I notice that my laptop is missing from my bag and I start tearing apart all of my other shit and it just hit me and I got this knot in my stomach and I was white in the face and I was sweating and I was just like, fuck, like, what do I do now? Like, I just, it's not just that I lost my, you know, it's not that I'm worried about tomorrow as much. I'd like to have these notes because I'd like to be able to go over this stuff, but like I feel pretty prepared for it. Like I, I wrote them out and I basically memorized all this stuff, but um, I'm probably over prepared for it, honestly. But like now I'm thinking beyond the interview tomorrow and I'm like, I don't have my laptop now. Like what the fuck do I do? Like how do I get it back? And when am I ever going to see it again? And how am I going to get all those songs and all those uh, pictures and all the Word documents and like all that kind of stuff? Because the cloud, I don't think, was really a thing at that point. I'm not sure. But like I was freaking out. And it's like 1 a.m. And I have an interview in the morning. And I just had to go to sleep. And you know what? That was the thing. Is like I woke up and I went into the interview and I fucking killed it. And they made me an offer. And of course, I accepted it. And I went on to, to do pretty well with with my time there, you know? 
But I, I, I was just like, I reached that point where I was like, you know what? Like, I'm good. I'm good. I got it. You know, I wish that I had that. That sucked. But I know this stuff. I overprepared for this stuff. I'm going to get this shit. And I said, so that's what you need to go into this tomorrow with is just that mentality. Like, yeah, even though some shit happened to you today, okay, you got what you needed to. All right. And now tomorrow morning, you're going to fucking wake up and kill it, man. He said, I know that's right. I, I appreciate it, bro. That's exactly what I needed to hear. And I started beating my fists against my chest. And I said, well, manifest that shit, dog. You know what I'm saying? And he was like, hell yeah. Manifest that shit. <laughs> he said that. And I was like, yes, yeah, baby. We gone, we gone, right? And the rest of the ride was really cool. We just kept talking about other stuff and uh, this and that. And when I dropped him back off at his hotel, I was like, hey, man, good luck with your interview tomorrow. Rip that shit, G. And I know for a fact that he got out of the car feeling better than when he got in the car. And in that lies my success. I love that. I fucking love that. You know, that's always my thing is like, I want to release these people. It's like a catch and release thing, right? I catch them, they're in the car and we start talking and then I release them back into the world better than when they got in or at least feeling better. Not that I'm making anybody better, but like at least feeling better or and just feeling empowered. Like, yeah, I I do got this shit. I am a bad bitch. Or yeah, I'm that dog. I'm that hitter. You know, like that's the mentality that I want people getting out of the car to uh, to feel. And I've talked about this before. This kind of feeling that I get when uh, you know I'm dropping somebody off at work or something, and I'm like, have a good day. You know, and I feel like this proud parent after just having this discussion with like you know <laughs> not the not the son or daughter or anybody out here, but like. Because it's not like that. I'm just saying, like, I, I just, like, I feel that. And it's just like, um, yeah, like, go out there. Have a great day, you know? And I feel like this this parent who now beams with pride at the thought of their child getting out of the car and going to school or work or wherever they're dropping their kid off to and being like, I, they're going to have a great day today, you know? I, I did a great job raising them. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I drive away from these people like, I, you know what? That was a good, that was a good one. That was a good one. I, I did a good job with that one, you know, and uh, I hope it makes a difference, you know, I hope it makes a difference, even if it's something as small as having that little fond memory at the end of the day and being like, oh yeah, remember that guy, or finding my business card somewhere after I've handed it out to somebody and they're like, oh yeah, that guy, and then they come and check out the podcast and they're like, okay, now I, I see, I see, I see, I see, but yeah, that was that was a good one, that was a good one, but luckily my man got what he needed to at Burlington and um, I wish that uh, I did give him a card, and um, if he ends up listening to this, that then I hope you'll email the show, realtalkwbennyt at gmail.com, that is the show email account, and give us an update. Did you get the job? How did the interview go? Did you ever find your suit bag? I'd be really, really interested to hear that, and I'm sure anybody else listening would probably be curious and uh, think that's cool if we get a little update from that, so... Good shit. All right, my friends, that is all we got today. We don't have the doctor is in today. We have uh, didn't get any submissions for it in the last week. So, um, realtalkwbennyt at gmail.com. That's where you can send any of your life advice stuff, whatever you're going through, whatever you're dealing with, send it over. And uh, I'll give you some real talk, you know, on, on whatever you need to. Serious submissions only, okay? Don't be a jackass. 
But uh, send that stuff in. We'll continue to do that moving forward. Uh, thanks so much, everybody, for listening. If you made it this far, then you're really, really a day one OG. And I would just like to remind you that if you have not done so yet and you listen to this show on Apple Podcasts, then please take two seconds, literally just two seconds, and give us a rating and a review on there. Um, it could be quick. It could be a story that you liked. It could be something that you thought was funny. It could be uh, an interview that you liked. If you start going back through some of these old episodes and listening to them. So um, leave us a rating and a review. And also do that on the Facebook page. Same handle, at Real Talk WBinnyT on Facebook. Um, rate and review that page as well, man, because that, that stuff really helps me out. And I can't stress that enough to everybody that's done it already. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. And everybody be smooth and we'll see you next week. All right. I'm Ben Tompkins. That's Real Talk.